Welcome to RiskWise, a show about money for Muslims, where you'll learn how to make smarter financial decisions without selling your soul. For the full experience, join us at no cost at riskwise.com. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to RiskWise. My name is Ahmed Bonowar, and I'm joined by my good-looking friend and co-host, <laughs> Defender of Humanity. <laughs> I thought you were going to say defender of smart investing. Assalamu alaikum. It's Saeed here. Good to be here. Thank you for joining us again. Thank uh, you for that introduction. Well, I was looking for something because I just stole that from the showrunner, which we both listened to. And and, <laughs> and the, the Jared introduced his co-host as defender of humanity. So I just shamelessly ripped that off. But yeah, we, oh. need a, we need a better title for you. Like, what, what do you defend exactly? Uh, I don't know. Um, defender of smart investing. Defender of using your brain. Yeah, using your brain, not being tricked by, you know, the established marketing advertising world. I don't know, dude. We should we should request some feedback on this. What <laughs> what do we call Saeed? What does he defend? What does he stand for? for? Mm. All right. So send us your ideas if you have any. But thank defender, you again for joining us. Defender of common sense. There you go. Defender of common sense. Hey, that, yeah, okay. That's not bad. Yeah. Let's try again. And my co-host, defender of common sense, Saeed <laughs> Ali. How's that sound? Yeah, I can Good. go for that. All right. I can go for that. Welcome back, folks. We are still on the topic of investing and kind of, I think, slowly unpacking this problem step by step. Um, yep. <laughs> there's a lot to talk about, and we're, we're really trying to, I think, simplify things to their um, individual components so that mm-hmm. it's a little bit easier for for our listeners to to follow step by step and kind of build the foundation of their their investment philosophy, if you will. Absolutely. And last episode, we really <laughs> went after um, the the topic of trading versus investing. We already got some um, feedback really? about that from who? A couple emails. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a shock for a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. Cause again, if you if if you, if you watch the movies, uh, you know Wall Street, whatever, and you listen to the financial press, it kind of feels like investing is just about sitting at a computer and watching graphs go up and down and clicking, you know, clicking some buttons. Right. But it's really not. And if you're not sure what I mean by that, then go back to the last episode um, where we we talk about that in detail. Mm-hmm. Today, we want to help you take the next step forward by talking about what it means to hold an investment for the long haul. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the conclusion that we drew in the last episode is that trading is about just you know making short-term bets on the market. And, and those are exactly what they sound like, they're bets. Bets is the key word. They're not in investments if you're just you know kind of playing around with the short-term fluctuations in the market. Investing is about buying and holding companies that hold value and that create value over the long haul. Mm-hmm. And we want to define what we mean by that today. Mm-hmm. Take it away, Saeed. Oh, it's my turn? Uh, okay. Um, I think Ahmed actually had a really brilliant idea right before the start of this, the start of this podcast where we had talked about this before, um, that people confuse the terms utility and investment or utility and return. 
so that when they're buying things like, you know, you're buying a laptop and you think, yeah, this is a great investment. A laptop is a great investment. We've talked about that. Laptops are, are not an investment at all. They're probably the, the, the exact opposite of an investment given how, how quickly they drop in value as soon as you buy it. Um, but they provide you with a great utility. And I think we're just so used to that. We're used to buying stuff for a specific reason and then discarding it later. Right? We have a very consumption, disposable consumption economy and world that we live in now that it's very easy to translate that into your investments where, you know, I could buy, you know, Apple stock, let's say, instead of buying an Apple computer, I buy an Apple stock and then I, I get from it, you know, $10 and then I get rid of it because that's kind of how I do, you know, that's how I live my life generally. Buy something, use it and then get rid of it. But investing is not like that at all. I mean... The big difference here is a good investment should make you money. And if it's continuing to make you money, why would you sell it? And that's the dilemma that people are in when they choose to stop being traders, to be a long-term investor, to recognize that they're buying a business that's going to increase and create value and increase their profits over time. And then that growth compounds, the dividends that they receive get reinvested and that compounds. You know, we've talked about that in the past, what that word compounding means a couple times. And when you have those, you know, functions working in your favor, why would you just get rid of it if you made 10 bucks or $20? It doesn't actually make sense when you think about it. Well, I think that's where it's tricky though, right? Because what you just said was, if, if it's making money for you, why would you sell it? And that, that makes sense. I don't think anybody would disagree with you there. The problem is, what about when it stops making money or you think it stopped making money? Mm-hmm. You know, what happens when the price of that company or that stock of that security goes down? And then you think, well, I've made my money, you know, I bought it at X and now it's at Y and it looks to be going down. I should get out now and take my money before I lose it. Mm. Isn't that, I mean, that sounds like common sense. Absolutely. Now, there is this huge topic in finance called sell discipline. Um, And everybody who's investing knows that sell discipline is harder than buy evaluation, meaning it's relatively easy to find a good company to buy it's super duper hard to figure out when to sell it. Like we know that in the investment world, in the finance world, that finding something to buy is easier than knowing when to sell it by like orders of magnitude and difficulty. Why is that? There's a lot that goes into, well, okay, so when you're trying to buy something, you'll have a way, a methodology, some kind of framework that you'll look at. Uh, I'm looking at a company that you know, is increasing dividends or I'm looking at a company that, um, you know, had some kind of CEO scandal, but still a very well run company and makes a lot of money. So it's undervalued. You just have some kind of methodology the way you view companies. So you can find them some things based on that methodology. So, you know, that methodology says buy company A, you did that. Now company A, you know, either it's making money or it's not making money. Mm, When do you sell it? That's actually really, really difficult. Uh, to figure out what you should do when a company hits a certain target. Do you sell it or do you continue to hold? So in that, how do you answer that question? When should I sell it and should I ever sell it? We got to understand a few things. First and foremost, your default assumption should be buying great investments that you can hold forever. That should be your default desire. Because everybody generally wants to buy something that, you know, I get asked this question all the time. What can I buy and hold on to for the next six months? 
18 months, you know, two years, three years tops. That'll make me a lot of money. And then I can sell it and then I can go, you know, do whatever else with that money. I was going to say buy a fish, but that won't make any money. But <laughs> you can hold it for six months to a year. A fish? Um, well, that's how long mine lasted. Is that, is that not, not very long? A fish like that comes out of water? Yeah. Yeah. A fish, a pet fish. Oh, a pet fish. Oh man. I was like, I thought you meant a fish to eat. <laughs> no, 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 no. I meant a pet fish. Yeah. No, don't keep, don't keep fish to eat in your fridge for six months to a year. That's, that's I was... <laughs> yes. Okay. No, what I'm saying is like, what can you keep for six months to a year? Yeah. You can keep a fish, but like yeah. th- th- that's pretty much it. There's nothing else worth buying for that amount of time. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, that's not the way that we're going to invest and figure out what's good for you. Um, to find out, you know, should I buy something and invest your money in it? Yeah, the first question is I, I want to buy something that'll, that will I can keep and own for an extended period of time. The longer, the better. Compounding works in your favor on a kind of exponential level as you see the charts, that it just continues to grow and grow and grow. Um, so the longer you hold on to a good investment, the better, and that should be your default mindset. I want something that's not going to be good for just for a couple of years or a couple of months, but it's going to be good forever. There are And there are definitely investments that are like that for sure that you can hold on for a very, very long time. And the, the desire that people have to sell is born usually out of two things. Either it's gone up a lot and they want to, you know, like you said, sell it and reap their profit. Or they're seeing it starting to come down and they want to cut their losses. And there's a couple of good examples of this. I mean, in 2011 uh, was actually kind of a bad year for stocks, but there was a one very specific day um, in 2011, I think it was around August, where the then Italian prime minister, uh, Berlusconi, he was caught in some sex scandal as a president. It's, it was actually pretty bad from what I remember. And when that all came out, it was a huge negative day for companies all over the world. Like all these companies lost value, lost the, they went down, their stock price went down because of this one sex scandal of no offense to Italians, but <laughs> the president of a very small country, right? Like it's, it's not exactly a consequential issue here. Sorry again. No, yeah, how, how does, how does one sleazy Italians <laughs> promiscuous habits affect all of the world's markets. Exactly, right? And people, like the stock markets went down because people sold on that news, thinking that, you know, this was in the midst of the first part of the European debt crisis and Italy was, you know, the reason they were in the news was because Italy had a lot of debt and people were just figuring out how much debt they had and they were going into recession. And now you have the prime minister who's caught in a sex scandal. Oh my God, this country is nuts and we all need to get out of here. And by the way, we need to get out of everything else because everything else is going down too. And it just didn't make sense. And I got calls that day from clients saying, hey, I really don't like this. Can we just get out? I mean, it's just this it's a wild, crazy ride. And I don't I don't know if I want to be here anymore. I don't want to be I don't know if I want to be an investor anymore. And it's it's an, it, not a very rational thing to to want to do. It's a very emotional thing. And that's what we have to understand first and foremost. The desire to sell is usually born out of emotion, which is why sell discipline is really hard. Because are you doing it for a very intellectual, logical reason? Or is your fear or greed running the picture now and also acknowledge that that on the one hand there's there's the rational and the emotional and your thought process 
But there's also the rational and the emotional in the markets themselves. Yeah, exactly. So when a, the price of a stock goes up and down, there's two reasons for that potentially, right? One mm-hmm. is what Sayed just mentioned. It's everything else, right? It's it's what's going on in the world, whether that's reasonable, not reasonable, whether it's related, not related. There's, you know, the fear, panic, all these things affect the day-to-day, month-to-month fluctuations in the markets and in individual stocks. Right. And then there's the actual performance of the company that you bought, mm-hmm. right? That's That has an impact more so over the long term. Exactly. And that's a difficult thing to assess because you can take a look at the price of a company going down by 5% today and panic very easily. Is that a long-term trend? Are they actually the business going down or is that just the result of the emotionality of all the other investors in the market. And that's very, very difficult. So let's bring this down to basics. What do you as an individual have to be concerned with when you think about whether to sell something or to hold on to it? And I think it comes down to the money that you invest first and foremost before you choose, before you figure out you know, what investment you're going to buy. Like is it a stock? Is it this or that? Before you figure out what investment you're going to buy, you got to start, as we have talked about, throughout this podcast series, start with the end in mind. Know what is the big rock, the big goal that you're trying to accomplish. Understand, you know, how much do you need to save for that big goal? What's the rate of return that you need for that big goal? How many years do you need to continue to save and continue to let that investment grow in order to achieve that big goal? Those are the more important questions because it's easy to get derailed in the short term, but having a solid financial plan brings a lot more certainty. So let's say, let's say that you have an investment goal that you want to provide $40,000 to your kids when they turn 17 to go to post-secondary school. And... Your kids right now, your eldest is three years old. So you have 14 more years ahead of you between when you actually need that money. Is a short-term 2%, 3% decline today going to derail your ability to earn enough money in, you know, 14 more years? Will you be able to recover whatever losses you just suffered in 14 years? And that financial plan, having that understanding of why we're doing this in the first place provides so much, so much more certainty. Because when you think of it that way, like, yeah, I mean, 14 years from now, if you've done your homework and you have good investments, yeah, a one or 2% decline is not that big a deal, especially when you have another 14 years left before you need that money. So does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it makes sense. I think there's a couple of reasons why people tend to panic, though. It, one is kind of the macroeconomic reason, and the other one maybe like company specific. So, if you look at the markets in general, I think what you just said makes a lot of sense, and people can wrap their heads around that. That if your time horizon's twenty, twenty-five years, and you've got a big goal, and you you know you have a plan to achieve that goal, then little blips in the market because of you know Silvio Berlusconi's wild house parties or. <laughs> 
you know. Uh, it was like it actually was like that. That's kind of what came out. It was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny to think about it now. Yeah, um, crazy when you're in the middle of it. Yeah, um, but but those kind of things, you know, should they affect your child's college plans? Probably not, right? Um, and the markets recovered, and they always do, right? So that's the thing. Like we we know history has taught us that when those short term blips happen, and and we have a a, a temporary downfall in the markets, they recover and usually quite well. Right. So there's there's a lot of proof um, that that there's no need to panic in those situations. The, uh, the trickier part, I think, is when an individual company is in turmoil. I think it's it's a lot more challenging to be able to determine whether that turmoil or whether that that uh, that um, downfall in the price of that stock is something that is fundamental to the company's performance or whether it's something else that should be ignored. Okay, can I answer that in two parts? First, I don't. I I would disagree with you. <laughs> sorry, that people know why something went down. Whether it's macro, whether it's you know Italian prime minister, whether it's some debt ceiling, whether it's uh, you know recession, or whether it's a CEO problem or you know emissions failure tests or you know uh, failing emission tests because a company was uh, circumventing the tests. Right. I think for most cases, you know, aside from things that make you know mass mass news, which most really don't, people don't don't actually know. You know what is the cause of this going down, and generally they just have an emotional reaction. They open up their statement and they say, "Oh my God, my statement! I was at fifteen thousand dollars last time, and now I'm at thirteen thousand dollars." And then they hit the panic button. I'm losing money. I better sell before it goes down to ten thousand. But you raise a good point. So that's the first thing, right? Do people actually know? I'd argue no. They just see that it went down, and then they want to have some kind of emotional reaction because of that, which is understandable, but not not recommended. But the second thing is great point. You know, if you're invested in what, if all of your money is in one company, let's say you work for a company, company A, and it's a big company, big publicly traded, you know, whatever kind of company that it is. And you have, you own a lot of their stock because maybe you're part of that employee uh, share purchase program where you can buy share, shares from them and they reward you by giving you half, you know, whatever. You, so for whatever reason, you have a lot of your company's stock. And let's say, you know, you, maybe you worked for Enron back in the day and uh, like the majority of your money was in your own company's stock. Like one of the unknown things about Enron is not only did they commit fraud and lose a lot of money, but there was a lot of people who worked for Enron who had a lot of their money in that company themselves. So they, when Enron went down, the employees not only lost their jobs, but they lost their future too. If that was your situation, yeah, that is hugely bad. And we haven't talked about this yet, right? Diversification? No, it, it probably deserves an entire episode, but maybe yeah. you can give people the 30-second the, the spiel right now. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Oh, that would be shorter. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> if you drop that one basket, you lose all your eggs. That's our cliche for the day. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think that's combined with the time horizon. That's what should give you um, a bit of a stomach. Right. Yep. Is that look, yeah. okay, there's there's things happening in the market there. These these companies are in trouble. But, you know, I've got a 15, 20, 25 year time horizon. I don't need that money today or tomorrow. And, and I own 120 companies. Yeah. So what? <laughs> exactly. And and and. And I think that also removes or relieves the burden of having to follow what all these companies are doing. I mean, you, you really shouldn't be because 
unless you're a professional investor, right? Unless you're in charge of managing a, a mutual fund or a portfolio for, unless you're Saeed, right? Um, even then, I think you probably don't follow each individual company, do you? No, it doesn't provide quantitative value. Exactly. That doesn't, that doesn't, uh, knowing the ins and outs of what a particular company does doesn't in any way uh, improve your ability to make decisions as an investor. Isn't that weird to say, to admit, but it's true. Weird, right? It's counterintuitive, right? That's why I think we talk about common sense, but a lot of what we're saying today is not common sense. Right. It's very counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for very practical reasons, right? Because you as a, as a, uh, you the listener, as a, um, as a, as a consumer, as a passive investor, someone who doesn't do this, you know, as a, for a living and is not charged with this responsibility, cannot be expected to follow the performance of every company that you're invested in, especially if you're diversified, which you should be, because that would be a full-time job. Right. And you can't do that. Exactly. And people tend to just follow the, the company for like a few minutes after they read something in the news and then they make some kind of grand investment decision based off of like a headline, which is awful. Which is just being reactionary and emotional and not rational at all. Right. Exactly. So do we talk about this? You know, why have we made the case why if you have good investments, you shouldn't be selling them and why if you have an investment that has gone down, we should really think about whether you should sell even that because... A, do you need the money this quickly that you should be selling it and this is actually a problem? And B, do you have enough other stuff that one company not doing so not doing so well doesn't really affect you that much? Have you made that case? Selling? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm interested to hear if people have questions about this because mm-hmm. I, I understand that it's not straightforward and it's very counterintuitive. So yeah. I, think we've, I think we've covered what we wanted to cover but I do want to hear the questions. So if yeah. you have questions about this topic or anything at all, I mean, I, I'm expecting a lot of questions about investing in general. Yeah. Um, and and I'm really curious to hear how those are going to sound. So do shoot us an email, team at riskwise.com. Send us your questions and we will do our best in the coming weeks to kind of um, help you unpack this and understand it and ultimately apply it. Yeah, do it right now. You know, go to your email program on your phone right now. Type in team at riskwise.com. Subject, question. Type out your question real quick. Hit send. Okay. And I forgot the announcements at the beginning, and you were supposed to remind me. But if you're still listening, then please, please, please go over to iTunes and find the RiskWise podcast in iTunes and leave a rating, leave a review. You can leave an honest one if you don't like it and you tell us you don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but do leave a review, do leave a rating. We really appreciate that uh, and the feedback. And if you found us on iTunes, then head over to RiskWise.com, get on our email list so that we can make sure we send you every episode directly to your inbox. Yeah, man. And, and get all that great questions and copy that uh, Ahmed writes every week, twice a week now. <laughs> I look for, I look forward to your emails. Even though I'm on here and I know what we've said, I still look forward to your emails. Well, then I better go write the next one. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.